Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com slash goals24. That's Chime.com slash Goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash Disclosures for details. Welcome back, welcome back, Earn Your Leisure Podcast, Episode 9. Uh, before we start anything, we just want to thank you guys again for rocking with us throughout this journey. We want to remind you guys to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Earn Your Leisure. Yep, yep. Uh, make sure you turn on our notifications. Also, our website is up, earnyourleisure.com. We had some difficulties with it early on, but that's up and running. So we have all of the info for the podcast listings. We have our YouTube on there. We also have our merch shop up. The merch is dope. We have a bunch of uh, dope shirts, and it's going to be even more stuff that we're going to roll out, but make sure you check the merch out. And also, our Patreon is up as well. That is also on the website, and that's a way for just extra support. And if you want an extended dialogue, uh, and you know, just kind of follow the journey a little bit more, you, it's, it's all laid out. So that's on there as well. Um, feel free to support. So, yes. We are jumping right into it yeah, yeah. with the marijuana business. Yeah. So back home smoking legal. Right? So that, that, that was a line that Drake said in um, Meek Mill's song. Uh, and it's important that uh, people take note of what we're about to say. Because we're not saying we're for or against. We're just going to give them some facts. Yeah, no, it's, not a, it's not a stance. Yeah. It's not a stance. Look, me personally, I don't smoke. I never <laughs> smoked. I don't have anything against anybody that smokes. Right. It's personal preference. But um, I'm not saying, we're not saying that it should be legal, that it shouldn't be legal. We're just 
laying out the facts, giving you dialogue, and just something to think about. And we're going to look at it from a business perspective because it is a multi-billion dollar business. And um, I'm not sure if people really understand uh, the potential growth that the marijuana business has. But we're going to break it down and, and talk about some people who have uh, invested in the business and are seeing some benefits already. So we'll, well, let's just start from a legality standpoint. Well, let's start even before we go there. I want to, I want to give a quick story that we put on our Instagram page okay. um, of uh, Al Harrington. Shout out to him. Shout out to Al Harrington. Yeah. So anybody not familiar with Al Harrington, Al Harrington was an NBA player for, I think, like 10 years, something like that. Yeah, he had an extended career. Yeah, he was in the league for a while. Yeah. And uh, he, towards the end of his career, he started getting a lot of injuries, mm-hmm. right? So how he was able to cope with the injuries is that he started to smoke. He started to right. So he, he had um, uh, a couple of knee surgeries. And one of the knee surgeries, actually, the effect of it, he had a staph infection. And... He was prescribed all types of um, medicines, and they really weren't working for him. And he figured out, hey, I'm in a state, and 2011, 2012 season, I think he gets hurt, and he said he's in a state where marijuana is now legal for medical use. Which state was Colorado. So he's playing for the Nuggets, Denver Nuggets at the time. And he's in Colorado in 2012. They passed medical marijuana to uh, be used, medicinal marijuana. And he decides... I'm going to try this. Now, he never smoked, too. He had your stance. He had never smoked, and he stands by that um, throughout high school, and even professionally, he never smoked, but decided, you know, after reading up on it, I'm going to give it a try, and he sees the benefits of it right away. Yeah, so, and then also what he does is that, you know, the NBA has strict guidelines as far as drugs. Mm -hmm. Weed is still considered a drug, right, in most states. And still illegal federally. Federally, yes. So... He invests $5 million into a marijuana company because he sees the business side of it once he starts to see the medical benefits of it. But he, he doesn't want to put his name on it. Yeah. So he does it through his, his cousin's name. Right. Right? Into a company named Viola. Viola Extracts. So now the company is in four different states. It employs 70 employees. Mm-hmm. And he's looking to have a future billion-dollar valuation once and if it goes legal on a national level. So now he's like a spokesperson because he's not in the league anymore. So right. he doesn't have to worry about backlash. And it's actually ironic because I just saw an All-Star Weekend where the NBA invited him to come in and speak to the players. Future business conference. Stuff like that. Yep. So they're actually embracing him as a marijuana ambassador. Yeah, he had a big cosign. Uh, David Stern, who was the former NBA commissioner, said, you know what? I didn't believe, didn't believe in that stance that players should be able to use it. But now listening to Al Harrington after he met with him a few times, he's like, you know what, Al? If it's going to keep players on the court and not sit out games and rest, I'm all for it. Now, he's not the commissioner anymore. Adam Silver is. But that's a big cosign. That's a, you know, he's a former commissioner of a major sports league in America. So that's a huge cosign. No, it is. And the thing about it also, so now we have to talk about some legalities of it, right? Yeah. So it's, there's a lot of different complexities in the marijuana industry, mm-hmm. marijuana business, right? So one of the main issues is that some states it's legal, but mm-hmm. it's still not legal on a federal level. Right. So 33 states allow medical marijuana. Right. Um, I, we live in New York. New York is one of those states. But then there are 10 states who have legalized recreational, which means you're allowed to carry it. Um, I believe up to one ounce if, if it's something you carry. And if it's like a concentrate, which means it's in an edible product, I think it's maybe one eighth of, a, of an ounce. Um, so the 10 states, and you said that Al Harrington has 70 employees. Obviously, his employees are from uh, four of those states, California, Oregon, Washington, uh, Michigan, Vermont, Maine, Nevada, uh, Nevada, Mich- uh, Alaska, New Hampshire, I think. 
maybe not yet, not yet. New Mexico is like going to be the next one. So there's ten, and obviously Washington D.C. We, we say states, but the District of Columbia also has medical and uh, recreational. Yeah. Drugs. So so it's interesting because before, like a couple years ago, one of the biggest businesses in Colorado, when Colorado first legalized marijuana, one of the biggest businesses was security. Mm-hmm. So they had all these Navy SEALs and ex-Marines and things of that nature that were like carrying M16s and machine guns and they would arm security for the dispensaries because the dispensaries was a cash business. They couldn't accept credit cards and they couldn't put their money in banks. Right. So they literally had warehouses full of cash, right? And obviously you have warehouses full of cash, you're a target. It's, mm-hmm. That's dangerous. So being that the security business in Colorado were like skyrocketed overnight because they couldn't. So now what was happening is that at that point in time, no bank in the country wanted to even run the risk of handling finances for a marijuana company because it's illegal on a federal level and you you can get arrested. Yeah, so there were some stories where you had shops that would open, dispensaries that would open up, right? On a state level, it was legal. But if the federal government came in, they could shut you down pretty much. Yeah. So it's like it's a risk. Yeah. So, but now, but now there's actually 400, I think 411 banks and credit unions mm-hmm. that are currently doing business with marijuana companies, mm-hmm. and they're looking to expand. So there's actually a bill in Congress now from two Democratic uh, House members mm-hmm. that um, wants to give safe haven to any bank or any credit union to do business with a marijuana company. Yeah. So this is like a little fun fact. So Colorado has more dispensaries than they have Starbucks and McDonald's combined. And when we think of like franchises, like obviously we said on, on a few episodes ago that McDonald's was the largest franchise in the world. It is. They have more marijuana dispensaries than those two franchises combined. So this is like a billion dollar business that's happening. No, I mean, it's like prohibition. Right. right? Like if we, a lot of people don't really fully understand that alcohol was illegal at one point. Yeah. 80 years ago is when they started making marijuana illegal. And that, that, that goes into a deeper discussion, right? How, when we look, and there's a documentary, um, it's called um, The House I Live In, and it talks about um, population control, right? So if people are doing things um, that are taken away from jobs from the people, the dominant population, how do you stop it? You, you start criminalizing the things they do. So if marijuana was something that was being used and grown, let's criminalize that. If it was in the West Coast, right, and it was opium that was being used, let's criminalize that. So we've seen that... There's a deeper history when yeah, it comes no, to Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, even with this whole... So, you know what POW stands for? Prisoner of War. Prisoner of War, right? So, it's like, okay. So, now it's looking like the, the tide is turning on this and, and marijuana is going to be made legal. It's just a matter yeah, of time. just a matter of time. So, there's a the war on drugs, right? Quote, unquote. So, <laughs> how many people are serving jail time for marijuana? Yeah, like that. Shout out to Biggs, right? So, that was, that was one of those dope quotes that I think flew over people's heads, like... Biggs, uh, Burt, who was uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Rockefeller, was locked up for five years for, for marijuana charges, right? So, and he said that, I think Jay said that on the song, he was like, uh, shout out to uh, Biggs, he's back in the church, when I heard you got locked, that, that hurt. Took a good dude, locked him over some dirt, like, yeah, it's legal in Colorado. So it's like, it's crazy, right? This dude did time, was away from his family, and how many other people are just like that, doing more severe sentences for marijuana, and now... And maybe five to ten years, this is going to be something that's legal, legally nationally. Everywhere. Yeah. And I think one of the things about it, I've heard that um, if you have a criminal record in drugs, mm-hmm. uh, you're not allowed to get a license to open up a dispensary. Yeah, so it's crazy, man. So, and that's 
so the blueprint has been laid because when we think of uh, United States of America, when right, we think North America, there's other, obviously two other countries. Canada has made marijuana legally throughout the entire nation. Right, so their country is completely federally funded. You can sell and use marijuana in uh, Canada, which is why we started with the back home smoking legal. Because obviously Drake is from Toronto, so when he says that line, he that's real. Like the in- country of Canada is marijuana is legal. Yeah, that's like um, we went to Montreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody was smoking weed. That's before this whole thing started to turn. And I thought about the Nas song. I remember he was like, um, "Imagine smoking weed in the street without cops harassing." That day is upon us. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. That day is upon us, man. So uh, we said it's a billion-dollar business. Here's some numbers behind it. In uh, 2017, uh, the marijuana uh, legalization of it has grossed uh, $9.7 billion in North America. Right? They expect it to have a 28% increase over the next four years, which would be, mean by 2021 it should be a $25 billion business. $25 billion just by legalizing something that a lot of people use um, and all aspects of life, doctors, lawyers, teachers, pick a profession. Um, a lot of people use the drug. And there's benefits of it. So when we spoke about Al Harrington, one of the things he said is that it's, it's better than the prescription drugs that they do because, number one, it, it it's natural. Um, and for him, it was a, a pain relief. And not just smoking marijuana, but I think he was using marijuana cream. I think he had a cream that had um, marijuana, and he was using that for his ailments. And um, he had... Another person who said it was Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, man. He was like, I had back surgery in my career, and rather than taking pills, I was using marijuana. Well, medicine's a drug. Right. So prescription, I mean, we see that now, right? Opioid addiction. So if you get prescribed Valium or any other type of drug, that probably has worse effects than marijuana. Yeah. But as we see... You know, it was it was criminalized, and and recently, uh, but this week we had David Irving. You see, David, uh, Cowboys player. No, he said he's retired. He's quitting, so he got uh, fined. No, suspended indefinitely from the NFL. The NFL's rules on on obviously the drug policy is, are very strict, um, but he said he's quitting the NFL. He's gonna he's gonna just smoke weed, and it was like a huge thing, and everybody was like, "Wait, what? This doesn't even make any sense." And his thing was like, "Yo." His his stance is like I'm using it for medical reasons. Why am I being suspended for it? So like now his he's 25 you know, you, years you old. You know the, the NFL are they the only league that tests for marijuana? No, all leagues do, but the leniency is different. So the NFL and that was one of the things that people are arguing. Like why is this still a policy, right? If people are using it to heal from injury and it's not performance uh, enhancing drugs, right? So the argument is like we um, and I heard Stephen A say this. He, he doesn't want to see his ad, the people that he's paying to come see. Um, inebriated, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, but do you stop them from drinking alcohol the night before the game, right? Do you stop them from smoking cigarettes an hour before the game? Um, so, I mean, it's a long list of things that we can go into. Yeah, and so, it's a topic I, mean, for I personally think that uh, once you see uh, laws being passed or proposed to make it federally legal for banks to harbor money. So once the money comes into the banks, everything follows the money, right? So once the money comes into the banks and that's legal, then it's just a domino effect from there. So a lot of people are interested in marijuana. I always tell people all the time, do your research and understand what you're investing in because there are a lot of companies and all companies aren't the same. But that's interesting from a a political standpoint because, like I said, the money always precedes the law. So once, (laughs) once once the bank, if that bill actually does pass, 
It's just a matter of time because there's too much money. It's billions, trillion dollars out there, and there's too much money for it not to be capitalized on, for banks not to take advantage of yeah. it, for institutions not to take advantage of it, for everybody not to take advantage of it. So, yeah. so whether, whether, whether you're pro or for, it probably will happen. Yeah, so like it or not. It is what it is. Yeah, and Snoop Dogg, uh, probably the, the weed connoisseur, right? He uh, had a venture capital firm that raised $45 million in three years, right? So people are investing in it at an all-time rate. Wiz Khalifa is another guy who's made a career off the use of marijuana. Same thing. And Mike Tyson. We just you know, yeah, we put Mike the post Tyson, up about yeah, that. Mike Tyson is opening a 40-acre uh, ranch in, in California. California yeah. so. All right. Well, marijuana, interesting. Uh, it's only going to you know get more headlines, I think, as time goes. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And just the last thing is that, yes, it is legal in those states, but you have to be 21. So how do we stop kids from using it? So... 21 uh, is the age that you have to be in order to use recreational or medical marijuana. Yes. Smoke responsibly, people. (laughs) All right. Now we're going to go into real estate, right? We're going to, real estate is vast. So we're going to talk about, we're going to chop real estate up into different segments for different shows. But today we're going to talk about appraisals, Mm. right? Home appraisals. And we're going to attack it from a different standpoint. So I actually wrote a post about this on my Instagram page a while back, if anybody follows me. Uh, So... There was a recent study by the Bookings Institute in Gallup, which shows that homes in majority black neighborhoods are undervalued uh, during the appraisal process by $48,000 per home, yeah. which amounts to $156 billion uh, in cumulative losses nationwide. So what happens is that they're saying that black homes are valued at 23% lower than the white counterparts. So obviously how they do that is that they base it like the same home, right? So it has to be like three bedroom, two bath mm-hmm. home in a black neighborhood. Three bedroom, yeah, exactly. Comparable. What we call in the real estate industry comparables, right? So they're not going to compare a one bedroom apartment to a mansion, right? They compare the same exact home, same exact space, backyard, all of that stuff yeah, with, within so, the same zip code, most times. right? So, so on average, the black home is valued at forty eight thousand less than the white home. So what happens is that now. It affects people in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. So now when you have less uh, value when you sell your home, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting less money, mm-hmm. right? You're also, it lowers your net worth, right? Yep. It lowers the, your equity that you can borrow from because the value of the home is less. So it's a lot of negative effects for that, right? So some people will say, okay, well, the reason that the black homes in, in the black neighborhoods are lower than white neighborhoods is because... Black neighborhoods, unfortunately, a lot of times you have higher crime rates. It sometimes maybe a longer commute, bad schools. Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff plays a factor in the home value, right? And that's true. But studies show that that only accounts for actually half of of the devaluation. Yep. So what happened to the other seventy eight billion, right? So that only accounted for one seventy eight billion, but the other seventy eight billion is not accounted for in all those other factors. So this is what the study showed, not me. So. <laughs> The Booking Institute and the Gallup, they, they came to the conclusion that the other $78 billion in devaluation was solely due to one thing. You know what that one thing is? Go ahead, man. Tell me. Racism. Right? Oof. They just said that oh. they just valued black homes lower. Uh-huh. Right? When an appraiser comes, he just looks at a black home as being worse less than a white home. It's just, that's what it is. That's what it, that's what it accounted for. Right? So, this is a, a troubling statistic. Right. For a lot of different reasons. But 
the main reason is that, you know, one of the things that, you know, you always taught in America is that you do good, you buy a home, you know, that's like the number one way to preserve wealth for your family, mm-hmm. do the right things, and you can sell your home. But now, A, it's already discriminatory practices in actually buying a home, yeah. right? That's been proven. Yeah. And now, even if you do buy the home, it's devalued just right. because you live in it, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was interesting when I wrote that story because a lot of people were going back and forth like, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's like, you know, a lot of people don't believe that racism is actually real. It's right? a real thing. But the thing about it is that it doesn't even affect people just in black neighborhoods. It yeah. can affect a, white, a black family living in a white neighborhood, oh, right? You don't say. So... <laughs> As I said, so a lot of times people were saying, like, this is just made up. I don't believe it. Yeah. So now, being that we have a personal story to confirm it, yeah. you're going to go into your story. Yeah. You know what? When you wrote the article, and I had no idea you were writing the article, I thought you were writing it about me. I, I honestly was like, yo, this guy just wrote my story. And I called you. I'm like, oh, you serious? And you're like, nah, this is, like, factual. This is, this is, the, this is the evidence. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really happening. So... Uh, two two years ago, almost about two years ago, um, I was in the process of buying a home, and that conversation. I, I, let's go back. I wasn't going to be in the process if it wasn't for you, um, and that was part of the earn your leisure conversation. Um, my family was about to uh, move, and you were like, "Hey, why don't you go in and buy the home?" And I was like, "I had not given any thought." I'm like, "You know what? Maybe maybe you shot at. Maybe I should do this." Um, so you sparked that in, in my mind. I'm like, "All right, well." I presented the proposal to uh, my family, and they were like, let's do this. And one of the things we had to do was get the house appraised. Now, my family bought the home in 2010, and um, the house was valued at 575000 That's what it was valued at. Uh, we bought it for 525000 That was the purchase price in 2010. Um, long story short, um, part of my family wanted to move to another area, so I came in. And uh, went in on a deal with my, my father, and uh, we got the house. And the process of appraisal was an alarming one because when he, the appraisal, I won't say his name, we're actually still in there. We wrote a consumer reports review about it. Um, the appraisal per- man came in and said that the house had devalued. Now we have added things to the home, you know, the typical things, obviously, stainless steel furniture, I mean, stainless steel appliances wood floors, all, all the things that you would add to, you know, increase value in your home. And in the eight-year pro- eight period, the house went from being purchased at 525000 to now being 510000 So, all right. So, you bought a house in New York. In New York. In the suburbs of New York, Westchester, which is anybody who's not familiar. It's an affluent, pretty affluent neighborhood. White Plains, New York. Okay. To be exact. So, you buy a house for five hundred and. How much? Five hundred twenty-five thousand. Five hundred twenty-five thousand. Two thousand ten. Yeah. Seven years where there's no market correction, real estate has only gone up. Right. In New York and across America as a whole, but definitely and in New especially York. in this neighborhood. Okay. You made improvements. So you made improvements to the home. Mm-hmm. And he said that the home was devalued by fifteen thousand. Uh fifteen thousand. Yeah. So like when you look at that, it's like, oh wait, that that's kind of crazy. But then you look at the comparables because that's part of the appraisal process too. Um, so I looked at the comparables, 600, 650, 618. I, um, I, we had an offer on the table. Like My, my brother was going to sell the house um, before I stepped in, and the offer was for 600, 600,000. And, and you got appraised at 15, 
510,000. And uh, what do your neighbors look like? Um, my neighbors um, are from a different, different ethnic background. What They're, ethnic background? Um, we have Hispanic neighbors. We have um, white neighbors. Um, we have a few black uh, neighbors down the street. The majority street. of people in your neighborhood, what are they? Are white. Majority of them. Okay. Yeah. So the comparables in the neighborhood is 600,000. 600 plus, at least. Um, so the, the deal was time sensitive. So... Not only did I, I was like blown away by the, the number that came back, I knew that we had to react fast because um, there was a lot of dominoes that were going to fall if we didn't get this done. So he came in and, and gave us a 510000 appraisal. But on top of it, I had to pay him $800 to him to do that. So like not only was it injustice and, and a disservice, but I had to pay him out of my pocket to say thank you. He came in. He was here for maybe 10 minutes and left. And that was the last time I, I saw him until he, I had to, you know, get in contact with him. Like, how did this happen? And, you know, his ex- explanation was um, pretty much you don't have uh, the size of a backyard as, as your, the comparables. So I was like, no, this is not this is impossible. I literally drove around the neighborhood to the comparables. I'm like, no, this is no way. No way. And being that my the, the process of getting the house was time sensitive, I just had to say, you know what? I'm just going to have to take this one, and then we'll deal with this at a later time. My mortgage broker at the time was like, you know, I don't believe this. This is crazy. But at, at a certain extent, you're at the bank's mercy, right? Like, they're the one that's approving you for the loan. They send their appraisal, the, the, the person that do the appraisal. So it's like, what do you do? So at that point in time, he took 90000 Off the table. Of wealth. Right. From your family. Pretty much. Yeah. With, uh, just his opinion. Yeah. And, the, and that's the thing. It's like... A lot of people don't get to this level to even see this type of discrimination, right? Because how many people are in the position to even get a home? You know what I mean? And it's like, I can tell this story, but it's like, who else can relate to this? Because like I said, when you wrote it, I was like, wait, you're writing my story. And you're like, no, this is happening everywhere. And I'm like, oh, oh, now I have to take action. So I, I have taken some actions and it's, it's still... You know what's crazy? Somebody said on my Instagram that... Um, she told the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to give her the benefit down and say it's true. So she said that she had a home appraised three times. Mm-hmm. And each time, let's say it was 300000 roughly. I forget the number, but let's say 300000 She It was like solid 300000 three times in a row. Yeah. She had a, her white neighbor come for the fourth appraisal. She took down all the pictures, and the white neighbor answered the door. Long story short, the appraisal thought that it was a white neighbor's home. You know how much it was appraised for? Four hundred. Think like four ten, like one hundred ten thousand dollars more. Just on an opinion, just because he saw a white person. Yeah, it happens. Look, I'm li- like we're literally. I lived it, and I'm still living it. It's like wow, and I try to get that message out. Like yo, this is happening. But like I said, like who can relate to it? Like a lot of my my peers are you know are renting, and they're not in the process of, of owning a home yet, and they will be. But it's like yo, this is how how is this possible? So like, what would be the answer to eliminate that like i you know what i mean like we have to get our own independent appraiser yeah but that and independent appraiser doesn't necessarily work for the bank who's giving you the loan so it's like what do you do yeah it was an interesting discussion on my instagram page because then some appraisers came in we was actually hoping to get somebody an appraiser to come in as a guest but we wasn't able to but uh yeah yeah it's a it's, I don't know. It's an unfortunate situation that just stuff like that people don't even aren't really even thinking about, right? Like you hear about like the hardcore racism stuff, but yeah. little stuff like that 
that's real wealth. That's that. So your ninety. So your situation was ninety thousand dollars, right? Right. So now you can see how when you hit about one hundred fifty-six billion, you're like that's a large number. But how many people are like you? Ninety thousand here, hundred thousand here, right. thirty thousand. It adds up. It adds up. Yeah, it adds up. Right. And like you said, like that's part of that generational wealth. Like, and that, that's not even a black neighborhood. Right. <laughs> right. It just was that. Hey, they saw the family that was here, and this is what we're saying it is, and. Take it or leave it. And if you leave it, then you, you're not going to get this loan because we're not approving you for this loan. Hmm. Yep. Well, yeah. yeah. The game is rigged. <laughs> All right, boys and girls. So now is my favorite part of the show. Story time. Here's a little story that must be told. Listen up, gangsters and honeys with your hair done. Best storyteller, thug, narrator, my style's greater. All right, so this, this story actually starts as a lesson plan. And one of the things we do in the summer is teach financial literacy. And I was listening to Reasonable Doubt that President's Tube was on, and I heard the, the line, uh, all blacks got is sports and entertainment until we even, and it just stuck with me. And I was like, damn, is this true? Like, is Jay right? Like, is he right when he says that? Like, what does that even mean? And I started thinking about success and what images we think of when we think of success. And over and over, I kept saying, wow, yeah, entertainment, damn, yep, sports, okay. So when we uh, sat down with our kids, uh, I came up with this idea to, you know what, give them eight pictures of celebrities. And lo and behold, they could name all eight, all eight. They were eight for eight. And the celebrities, I believe, were Dr. Dre, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Floyd Mayweather was on there, Puff was on there. And it was like, all right, well, they know all of those. And then I gave him another sheet with eight pictures, and I asked him to name them. And they got one out of the eight. And the one person was Oprah Winfrey. And I told them that the interesting thing is that you recognized every celebrity, but you only knew one of the wealthiest people of color in the world. And their minds were blown. And I was like, well... This is why, right? Because all we've been, we see is sports and entertainment. So we went to the number one person, the wealthiest black person or person of color in the entire world. Well, black person, not even person of color. African descent. Af- African descent. Um, and we came to the name Aliko Dangoti. Aliko Dangoti, uh, he's actually from Nigeria. Um, and his net worth this year, well, in 2018, was $10.7 billion. Um, You want to go into it? Yeah, so Aliko... Dan Goatee. We, we wanted to cover him for a few different reasons, but shout out to Africa. We have a lot of listeners in Africa and the UK and all over. And, um, you know, obviously we live in America, so most of our stories are based off of Americans. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're bigger than just America. Right. We're, you know, the, the, the world, as I always say, the world is flat. So we want to show love to every part of the world and to give inspiration to every part of the world as well, right? So as you said, the richest black person in the world, African descent, whatever you want to call it, is from Nigeria, mm-hmm. right? He's worth $10 billion. So we're going to tell his story. Um, so, because I'm pretty sure that most people aren't familiar with him. Yeah, I mean, every time I've brought him up in conversation, people will say, who is that? And it's... It's ironic. Like, we know who Floyd Mayweather is, and we know who Jay-Z, and, and congrats. I mean, they've had a huge amount of success. But those three people, their net worth doesn't even add up to his. No, it's not even close. So, all right. So, Aliko, he um, he comes from Nigeria, right? And he uh, 
He starts in 21 um, in the concrete business. Yes. So he comes from a wealthy family already. Yeah. Nowhere near where he is now. Right. But um, he comes from a wealthy family. Yeah, so and that's, no, that's another thing, too, we have to keep in mind. Because even with the whole thing with Kylie Jenner, as far as what's self-made, that's, that was debate on the page. And um, we have to keep in mind that there are black wealthy people. Right. right? Like, like his grandfather was wealthy. The wealthiest grand- person in West Africa, I believe. Yeah. So, um, and there's nothing wrong with, we have to get out of that mind. Like, there's nothing to be embarrassed about if, you're, if your family has money. Right? That's what we should strive to do, to <laughs> actually leave a legacy for our kids. And it's like, we, we almost like are embarrassed if, if we have any leg up. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's kind of backwards way of thinking. But, so yeah, he comes from a wealthy family, um, but nowhere near where he is now. So yeah. at 21, he starts a concrete business, yeah. right? And from there, it's a $5,000 loan that he got from his uncle yeah. to start the business. From there, he parlayed that into pretty much everything pick, in pick Nigeria. It, yeah. pick, pick, Agriculture, uh, food, telecommunications. Banking, petroleum. Banking, petroleum. Sugar, flour. Sugar, flour, everything. He's <laughs> Salt. Like, guys, guys, hands in everything. Yeah. Everything in the country is pretty much he's involved with right. in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. He's heavy in politics, everything, right? So what he's doing now is that he is taking a major risk, but that's what business is, is about, mm-hmm. right? He's taking a major risk in building a twelve billion dollar petroleum refinery. Yes, right in yeah. in Nigeria. So, so, so just a quick a couple things about Nigeria. Um, Nigeria is Africa's largest oil producer. Um, so that's just the first thing. Now they have they control of I think the tenth largest oil reserves in the country. Oh, and, I'm sorry, in the world. In the world. In the world. So, but they don't their uh, take their resource not their resources, but. They don't have refineries that are efficient enough to get it throughout the entire country. Yeah, so the thing about Nigeria is that they have the 10th largest oil reserve, like you said, Mm -hmm. in the world. But they only have four state-run refineries, and those are old. So what happens is that they have to import most of their petroleum, Mm -hmm. which makes no sense, right? Because you have so much petroleum in your backyard, literally, yeah. but you have to import it because you don't, you don't have the infrastructure to actually produce it yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's his thing. His thing is like, why do, we, why do we have to bring in all of this stuff from the Middle East and all these other different countries mm-hmm. when we have it right here? So he's building a $12 billion refinery, and what that will do is make it, well, A, it's going to be the largest petroleum refinery in, in the, the world. world. Yeah, In the world. He, in the I world. literally, he went out, and this is built on wasteland. So he, I mean... Again, his business helps with this process, right? Because he has the concrete and he, he has the trucks and he has all these things to help build it. So he's building it right now. Um, I believe it's off the south coast of Nigeria. But yeah, like, let's build this refinery because there's no point of us ex- um, importing anymore. Right. So that's going to take, if all goes well. So right now, his company made $4 billion in, in revenue last yeah. year. If all goes well, that's going to take it from his company from four billion to thirty billion. Yeah. So the the, the key part about that is that sixty percent of Nigeria, right, is not they're not connected to the power grid. Sixty percent, and when the people who are, they have like four hours of power at a time. So there's like long history of blackouts in the country. So he has a chance to provide electricity now to an entire country. Yeah, well, yes. He has a chance to change the course of Nigeria forever. Forever. And also change the course of Africa. As well. The entire continent. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So what he's doing is more than just money, right? Mm -hmm. He has actually a chance to really 
leave a, a legacy forever when it comes to Africa. And then, of course, money plays a part as well. As I said, it takes his company from $4 billion to $30 billion. So yeah. now he's, he's a billionaire now. I yeah. think he was like number 100 on the list. Yeah, he, 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 I think his highest uh, rank on the list was like 25. He was up to like 20, but 25 fell, billion. But yeah, he, a couple of things that so happened. Stocks what this fell. does now, this puts him in like the top 20 now. Yeah. Like now he's in there with Bloomberg and, and guys like that, right? Yeah. So that changed the, the trajectory of wealth as well. But as I said, more importantly, like you said, 60% of the country doesn't have electricity. Um, they're the 10th largest oil-producing country, but they have to import all their oil. Yeah. So they make themselves reliant. They can keep all their resources at yeah. home now. And it sets a trend for West Africa and, and the whole sub-Saharan Africa mm-hmm. as a whole, right? Because we all know that Africa is the richest continent as far as minerals mm-hmm. and what's in the earth, but unfortunately, it's the poorest continent economically. Right. Right. So hopefully, this will be a trend that countries can follow and businessmen in the countries can follow where now the wealth is actually kept in Africa yeah. and they're producing for themselves and they're keeping it for themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, so there's two sides to every story. Right. So a lot of people aren't big fans of his because they said that, um, you know, he, he uh, has a lot of money offshore. Yeah. And some shaky business practices. Some political Pays scandal. off politicians. Right. Uh, his, but, his, so his wealth, right? And when, when we look at our country and we think of uh, the, the wealthiest people in the world, and we know that 1% of the population has more money than 99%. So his statistic is even larger because, yes, I think 50% of the country does live in poverty. And you have now a man who's in the top 100 wealthiest people in the world. So the disparity is even greater. So people are looking at that like... But that's not just his... I mean, look at Carlos Slim right, in Mexico. Or another person. Or look at this billion of billionaires in India or even America, right? Mm-hmm. This, so that's all over the world. Yeah. But um, like I said, there's, you know, there's, there's some, some rumors that you know, he's done some things, which, I mean, most business people have on a certain level, yeah. right? But then he also has a charity where he's donated $1.2 billion of his own wealth. Yeah, I believe him and Bill Gates are, are, are doing... Well, he's doing some stuff with Bill, Bill Gates, Gates as well. Right. But then he also built 200 homes for... Poor people. Yeah. So, and he and he said his favorite. So he, for the first twenty years of business, so he he started his company, I believe, in nineteen seventy seven. First twenty years of business, refused to travel. Yeah. Did not travel and, at and, all. And, yeah, that's interesting. No vacation. So that's because that goes back to the college and everything, right? Where yeah. it's okay, you start with money. Obviously, if you start with money, you have a leg up. It's obvious, mm-hmm. right? But you still have to work the money to make it more money. So. The guy didn't take a vacation for 20 years. 20 years. It took him, now he takes vacation now. But for the first 20 yeah. years in business, he didn't take a vacation. His ratio now is for every two weeks he works, he takes a vacation. We, I gotta get, we have to get to that ratio. Yeah, I mean, That's an amazing but ratio. It's like how many people take vacations? Just because. Yeah. And shouldn't be. You can't afford it. Right. They, you, you, you have no money and you're still taking vacations just for the hell of it. You go to Miami just... Just cause. It's funny you said Miami because when he said the two favorite places to travel, Atlanta and Miami. <laughs> Atlanta and Miami. That's pretty random. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. If I'm the one of the richest people in the world, I love Miami. Yeah. I love Atlanta too. Those would not be my two top travel destinations. Well, where, where you coming from though? You're coming from New York. It doesn't so, matter where I'm coming from. Well, somebody who's in Nigeria that may look at that as like that's a tourist destination. I mean, we do it like pretty regularly. Shout out to Atlanta. Shout out to Atlanta. Shout out to Atlanta. Shout out to Miami too. Yeah. It's just a little random for me. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, those are his two favorite. He actually owns a lot of property in Atlanta. Yeah. He 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 um I think he had a, a residency out there. But now I think he's staying at some like luxurious like 
resort there now. Like, yeah. So, I mean, the guy, he's balling out of control. But the thing yeah. about it also is that, so there's flip sides to every coin, right? So some people say he's a bad guy. Some people say he's a good guy. I learned that life is complicated, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was in Colombia, I went to Colombia a little while ago, and obviously when you think of Colombia, who do you think of? Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar. He's a legend. So everybody knows Pablo Escobar's story. I don't have to tell a story. Half of the country hates him, despises him, and half of the country loves him, right? So depending on who you talk to, you're going to get a different story. Yeah. So if you talk to some of the people that he might be responsible for killing and you know ruining lives and all these things, then they would yeah. tell you that he's the devil. He's the worst person in the world. Yeah. But then I went to a community. I forget what it's called, but it's Pablo Escobar community where he built, I think, like 300 homes for poor people, right? Mm-hmm. And he built the whole community. He built the hospital, he built homes, restaurants, grocery stores, everything. He literally built the community for poor people. And everybody lived rent-free. Everybody had a home. Yeah. They got murals of them mm-hmm. on the wall. To this day, they still got murals of them. Like, he's, he's a saint, right? So yeah. life is complicated, right? Yeah. And depending on who you ask opinion, you're going to get a completely different answer. Yeah, there, so there was some negative press where people had lived near the land and he came in. He cleared off the cleared land. Cleared the land off. So that's the. So that's the. So and then didn't, didn't provide homes or didn't so, provide so, anything. So they said he cleared off the land yeah. to make room, but then he built two hundred homes for poor, for poor people. Yeah. So it's like. And his thing is like he doesn't even want to be remembered as the wealthiest person of African descent. He'd rather be known as a philanthropist, and that's honorable. Like he just wants to be the person that has given back, and he has a chance to. Like what we said, if you think about it, like his country relies on imports he has a chance to reverse their entire trajectory and be a country that is pretty much making their revenue from exporting their resources so that's i mean no it's a good story and then it's amazing uh also it's it's just you know we like to highlight business people and we want to give people inspiration and hope and just just different figures right like we all know who warren buffett is we know who bill gates is so why should we not know who he is Right. right. Like, I, I doubt, and I'm pretty. I mean, I work in schools. This is his name is never being brought up at, at any school. But there's a bunch of people. Been. We got Robert Smith, right. who's the richest Black American. He's a billionaire, and a lot of people don't know who he yeah, is. They had well, Rob Johnson before him, and he wasn't brought up. But even Rob Johnson, he's still in sports entertainment on a certain level. But it, right. Robert Smith is in private equity. So we're going to try to highlight different people from different walks of life, but business in particular, because I think it's important. For people to to see these people and to just know about them, you don't yeah. have to be a fan of them or not, but at least you should be aware of them. Yeah, the power of presence and the power of perception. It's like I, at least I've seen somebody who can do as doing this. It's powerful. If we've never seen that, like then we may aspire to be um, an athlete or somebody in entertainment. It's like, oh wait, there's somebody doing something else in this avenue. Oh, I can do this too, right? So the power of just seeing yourself in somebody who's successful is it's you, you can't measure it. No, you can't. And once again, shout out to Africa, uh, South Africa, to Nigeria, Ghana, um, Ethiopia, Somalia, all of that. Egypt. Egypt. Uh, we're going to go to Africa very soon. I have, unfortunately, I have not been to Africa yet. I've been a lot of different places, but I have not been to Africa. So that's all my to-do list. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm very excited. And uh, yeah, we're going to get out there for sure. Absolutely. 
All right, guys. Well, once again, thank you for rocking with us. And do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube. Check our website out. Check our merch out. Check our Patreon out. And, um, yeah, once again, just just also send your um, send requests, too. Because what we want to start doing is, is featuring yeah. maybe, like, small businesses, too, that have success stories. Because we talk about, like, you know, big companies. But yeah. we want to talk about small businesses as well. So That was you, some of the feedback. Yeah, like yeah. DM, DM us. If yeah. you know, if you have a good small business story or if you know somebody that has a small business story, if you could just DM, DM us a quick paragraph, nothing too crazy because we got to read it. And we'll try to feature that as well. Yeah. And then also... We got requests for books, book club. So I'm just going to just, each episode, I'll say a book that I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So right now, I'm currently reading a book called The Big Short. And it's about the subprime mortgage crisis uh, in 2008. It's a very interesting book if you're into that. Um, they have a movie about it, actually, yeah, as Steve well. Steve Carell's in Steve it. Carell's in it. It's yeah. an excellent movie. And it just talks about the financial system and how broken the financial system is, how corrupt the financial system is. And it's, it's dope. Trust me, it's dope. So, yeah, that's my that's my book tip of the, the week. All right? Yeah. All right. Peace. Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com.